Hello everyone, welcome to Refuge Fellowship Online. It's just great to be with everyone today. It's amazing. Uh, I really missed you guys and I was kind of really bummed out as we found out that our lockdown now has been extended until the 15th of next month. But we're still able to meet online, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's been hard, but we're here. So if everyone's got their Bibles, you're going to need them. Uh, but as you grab your Bibles, I also want to remind you, if you have any prayer requests, or praises, or you just want to just, I would just like you to reach out and just let us know how we're, how you're doing. Uh, you know, I'd like to hear from you. I would like to know to come alongside you. I'd like you to tell us about just how your days are going. Uh, just keep in touch with us. So if you could message us, email us, write, whatever it would be, I would just love to hear from you. Today, the message is going to be a little bit different, but close. As the last few weeks, we've done some different things. We're going to get back into the scripture this week. We're going to be in Matthew. So if you're going to need your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew 26. As you grab that, I just want to take a minute to just think about the context of what has been taking place. If you remember back three weeks ago, and just remember what was going on, remember that Jesus and the disciples, they had just finished the Passover meal. So you can imagine what they would feel like. They just finished just a bunch of food. They drank a lot. Then after the meal, you remember what happened? Jesus had taught. Jesus had taught many different lessons. And then also he had prayed. Remember the different lessons we looked at? We looked at all these different lessons as we looked through John chapter 14 all the way through chapter 17. So now it's very late in the evening as we're going to pick up today in Matthew you could imagine as they've left the upper room, they've walked to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, as I tell you this, I just please understand, I'm not making any excuses for the disciples. But I can tell you, I can tell you how I would feel after eating a very large meal, after all the different drinks they've had, then listening to hours of teaching, and now they're sitting in a beautiful garden relaxing. I don't know about you, but... I know how I would feel. So that kind of sets the context, just a reminder of where we were. So if you got your Bibles, you're going to grab them, open up. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. Today we're going to be in verses 36 through 56. But we're going to start first with the first three verses. But let's pray beforehand. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. I just thank you for this opportunity to worship you through studying of your word. I thank you for the online resources that we can still fellowship together. Lord, I just pray as we dig deep into your word and we see you and the disciples in the garden and we see your arrest, Lord, that you would just speak something to each of our hearts, Lord, that we would learn about your will for each one of our lives. We'd learn about just reassurance of who we are in you. We would, Our faith would be strengthened. And Lord, that we would just Lord, I just see this, and I know this story, and as the disciples face this an amazing, difficult time of watching you be arrested, but there is always a reminder that we must see during the incredibly difficult times, times that we can't even understand or grasp that you were there, and you were in control. So, Lord, I just pray our faith would be strengthened as we study this, and, Lord, we would just learn. We'd learn about prayer. we learn about submitting to you. So, Lord, I just pray for your Holy Spirit just to speak to us, Lord, just to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start right away here in Matthew chapter 26, and let's look at verses 36 through 38. 
Then Jesus went with them to the olive garden called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. You know, as soon as I read these first three verses, I had a lot of questions. I looked at this, I said, you know, why did Jesus, first of all, why did he just take these three disciples? He left the other ones in the garden, but then he took three and he took them deeper with him into the garden. And then as he takes them, he didn't come up with some divine revelation, but instead he shares, he shares his innermost distress that he was dealing with. We can see through these passages, this was a very intimate time for Jesus. And I think Jesus was really looking towards these disciples, looking for companionship and encouragement. You know, these, if you remember, these three disciples, they were the same ones that witnessed the transfiguration. These were the same three disciples that had witnessed uh, Jairus and the healing of his daughter. You know, as you look at this, it's very obvious. Jesus was very, very disturbed. He knew what was about to take place to him both physically, and I think which is more importantly, spiritually. Now, I believe that the, the betrayal, the arrest, this trial that he would face, the beatings, the whipping, the carrying of his cross, the stripping of his clothing, even having the nails driven through his hands and his feet, the, the suffocation of the crucifixion, or even as he faced all this physical anguish, he also saw, I'd say, his mother and those that loved him standing there watching him. His own mother was there at the foot of the cross watching this take place. Even all of this, that Jesus knew what was to happen, this wasn't what I believe he's talking about here when he says he became anguished and distressed. He says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. What had Jesus crying out this way in the garden was the anticipation of him carrying the weight of our sin. I believe that's what caused this. Turn to Matthew, just a page over, Matthew chapter 27. Now I want to look at verse 46. Let's read that real quick. Verse 46. And let's just, actually, let's just look at the second part of that, which says, Jesus crying out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This right here, this verse tells us, this is what was troubling Jesus. Jesus knew what was going to take place. He knew he was going to stand in our place on the cross, having the world's sin placed upon him. But this would separate him from the perfect fellowship he'd always had with the Father. Let's turn to Hebrews real quick. And I want to look at that. If you're right, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. Let's look at verses 7 through 9. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who who could rescue him from his death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those that obey him. Jesus knew exactly what he was about to face. And Jesus' strength to obey the Father's will came through prayer and fellowship with the Father. Let's continue. Turn back to Matthew, and we're going to look at verse 39. 
He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Can you picture this in your mind? Jesus walking into the garden. His soul was crushed with grief to the point of death. Then he falls down, facing the dirt, crying out to God. As you think about this and picture in your mind, I want you to look at another verse. Turn turn to Luke, Luke chapter 22, verse 43 and 44. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently. He was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell from the ground like great drops of blood. Think about this. Does this paint a picture in your mind as Jesus was praying? He's praying, please, Father, if there's any other way for them to be saved from their sins, make it so. Turn back to Matthew chapter 26 and look again at that verse 39. Look there closely. What do you see there? What does it mean when Jesus says, if it is possible? I was looking this up and I I saw a, I want to quote from Pastor Chuck Smith because I think he explained it best. He said, if salvation and redemption came in any other way, if a man could be saved by any other method, by being good, by being religious, by being sincere, then let this cup pass from me. If it were possible for man to be saved in any other way, Jesus would have not gone to the cross. Now, a lot of times people, they take offense to the fact that we teach that Jesus is the only way. But his death, it was the only way. And when he prayed prayed this prayer, Jesus knew this. It was the only way. And Jesus came to God here in the garden in just a beautiful submission to the Father. Not as I will, but as you will. You know, as you look at this, I, I, I see Jesus. He shows us and he expresses us his feelings that he felt as a man. You see that in these passages. Yet as he walked through this and he walked through this anticipation of what he would face, he never denied God's will upon his life. And also I see there, look back, Jesus uses this cup, a cup as an analogy. as It it talks about the cup being poured out. Now we've seen and we know throughout the Old Testament, there's the picture, a picture of God's wrath and judgment through using the same analogy, a cup being poured out. You know, I thought about this cup being poured out. I thought about, as he's talking about, what that would look like, this cup of suffering. So the first thing I think about, if, as it talks about this, is to receive a cup, in this analogy, someone first has to offer it to you. Then if someone offers you that cup, you have to receive it. And then after that, you're holding it, right? You're holding the cup. You can look in it and you can see what's inside it. You can even smell what's inside it. You would fully know... I believe you would. You'd fully know what was inside of the cup before you would partake of it, before you would freely choose to drink of whatever was in the cup. Then I thought about that. As you brought that cup to your mouth to pour it out, to drink of it, you would feel it into your mouth, whatever the substance was, and you would begin to experience the taste of it. And in this case, it would be a very bitter taste. And as you continued to hold that cup up to receive the entire contents You need to swallow now. You need to swallow whatever was poured out from the cup. And now as you swallow it, it would go into you and it would be a part of you. I just thought of this. It's quite a process. There's many stages of this suffering as it's 
shown in this analogy of the pouring out of the cup. And Jesus drank of this cup, this cup of suffering. This, But that cup, remember, that cup belonged to us. And he did this so each one of us could be freed from our sin. And yet Jesus, Jesus did this. He did this for you and I. And this was, this was the only way for us to be saved. And that's why Jesus says to the Father, Your will, not mine. This night in prayer, Jesus, he had come to this full acceptance. He had committed himself to the cross. We see that here as he's praying. The struggle of the cross, we know, was one in prayer in the garden. There's some deep, just very rich lessons in this text for each one of us. Sin was defeated by the blood of Jesus. But the battle beforehand was won, face down in the dirt, crying out to God in prayer. You know, each one of us will face many different trials. We'll face many different emotions and feelings and different experiences as we walk out our lives in Christian. But what an example that Jesus shows us. Through prayer and fellowship with God, we also, just as Jesus, can still remain in God's will. Let's see what's going to happen next. Let's look at verses 40 and 41. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray, so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus had just gotten up from the dirt, from praying, and he goes and he, he finds the disciples there asleep. Jesus had he'd asked them to come alongside him to watch and pray, and yet they'd fallen asleep. You know, I I wonder why Jesus singles out Peter. I don't know for sure. Was he alone responsible for keeping them awake, for keeping the church eyes open? Was he alone responsible for the one watching in prayer? I'm really not sure. But Jesus, he, I know for sure he asked the same of all the disciples, even us. He tells us to keep watch and pray so they wouldn't and we wouldn't fall into temptation. Jesus tells them here, look at that verse, for the spirit is willing but the body is weak. Remember what had just happened? Remember what the disciples had told Jesus? Remember they said, we'll never leave him? Remember that Bible verse that we don't see on much shirts or any coffee cups? Even if I have to die with you. They had just told Jesus this. Yet here they are in the garden. They can't even keep their eyes open to pray for him. I think the disciples' intentions, they were even their words, they were honorable, right? But we see here, their words were not really lining up with what they were doing. I want to turn to Galatians real quick. Turn your Bible to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse... Uh, let's look at 17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Our actions and our lives should match our words. And we need to follow these instructions that Jesus has laid out for us. We are aware there's so many temptations out there that can trip us up. And I guess we've got to ask ourselves, are we watching, as Jesus has asked us here, are we watching for the things that Satan would put out there to stumble us, to trip us out? And are we praying for God's protection over our lives? Are we praying for our fellow brothers and sisters? Are we lifting them up? Jesus warns the disciples here and us to take notice, to be aware, and to pray. This is because Jesus knows us. He knows that we're weak, but he is strong. Now, I'm sure that 
None of us are going to face anything as Jesus did. But each of us, we do face many trials. And we'll have to face many difficulties as we live out our lives in this fallen world. And I'll tell you, I know I'm weak. And I know even though I'm weak, I'm still called to love the people around me as Jesus loved them. And I'll tell you, sometimes this is hard. Sometimes the people around me drive me crazy. Even they can irritate me. You know, sometimes the people around me that I'm called to love don't have the same ideals as me, or maybe they don't meet the expectations that I've placed on them. You know what? This is a trap for me. Because when I think this way, I can become frustrated, stressed, even upset with the people around me. And that is not loving them as Jesus has loved me. So I think I need to be aware of these shortcomings. And I need to pray, as Jesus has commanded me here, to do what I can't do. To love others as Jesus has loved me. Again, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus knew prayer is what would win these battles that we face. So we must stay watchful and stay in prayer. Let's turn back to Matthew and look at verses 42 through 46. And Jesus left them for a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same thing again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Jesus has left again and is praying the same prayer. And Jesus is using the same analogy of the cup. Remember that cup? It's, it's that symbol we just talked about. In this case, it's about his destiny. It's what he was, his will, God's will. This, this was prepared for Jesus by God. So, this, let's look a little more about that. Let's turn to Mark real quick. I want to look a little more about that. Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 36. Remember the cup? Look at this verse. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Now, this cup, it symbolizes trials, hardship in these passages. But really, what it's, in Jesus' case, it's symbolizing his suffering and death for our sin. And Jesus, as he's facing this, as he's walking through this, he's asked the disciples to pray to keep watch. But again, we see here that they've fallen asleep. Jesus was in battle. Yet, we know through prayer, this battle was won. Jesus has shown us such an important lesson here. The temptation of sin is defeated beforehand in prayer and fellowship with God. Again, listen to this. The temptation of sin is defeated beforehand in prayer and fellowship with God. Now, as Jesus continues in these passages back in Matthew, he doesn't tell them anymore to continue and watch, but now he says the time has come, and he prepares to meet his purpose. Let's look at 47 through 49 back in Matthew. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal so you will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Look at verse 49. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi. He exclaimed and gave him 
the kiss. You know, it's, it's interesting as I've read this passages today, as you read in the other Gospels, they have some different accounts and some different details. And before we continue to expound on these, these verses, I want us to turn to John and read his account. So turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Once you're there, we're going to read verses 3 through 8, just to see John's account. The leading priest and the Pharisees had given Judas the contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. And Jesus said, I am he. They all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, Who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. That's so interesting as I see and I read this these two different uh, accounts of the same story between John and Matthew. And as I read this, one of the first observations I kind of made is there's a presence, right? The presence of the Roman soldiers, but also of the temple guards. So both of them were in the garden. So this tells us that both the Romans and the Jewish authorities were responsible for this arrest. And both of them obviously considered Jesus a real threat because they came with all these armed guards, but they also came in night, in secret. They had feared what could happen if they did arrested Jesus in public. We must remember, too, as we see all this happening and all this taking place, it says here, Jesus knew they were all coming, and it was Jesus himself who allowed all this to take place. And as I read this, all, the, another observation that I saw is I thought about Judas. What a dirtbag. As he's betraying Jesus, he kisses him and then greets him calling rabbi. I just, I thought about this situation. I'm like, imagine this happening to me today. That's how I put myself in the picture is I try to put myself in the place of each one of these. And imagine happening this. Imagine I'm having a Bible study with everyone, right? And a, a Christian brother walks in. But he walks in with a whole bunch of police with guns and um, whatever they got. And, uh, they all comes in and they're coming here to arrest me. And then this, this Christian brother would come up and greet me with a handshake. Because we don't really kiss guys here in this culture. And then he comes and he embraces me and he gives me a hug. And he, while he's saying, it's great to see you, Pastor Aaron. It's kind of the, like a modern day version of what Judas just did to Jesus. I have to say, I think I would have acted a lot differently than Jesus did towards Judas. Judas was the ultimate tra traitor here. And he's used Jesus' love to betray him. Turn to Acts chapter 1 real quick. I want to look at this. Acts chapter 1. Pages are sticking together here. Uh, we're going to look at verses 15 through 17. During this time, but 120 believers were together in one place. Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us, and he shared in the ministry with us. I can tell you, to with first-hand knowledge, it's it's a real kind of a special kind of hurt when this kind of betrayal takes place. It's just it's really difficult to walk through, and yet as we see this and all this and how it transpired, we know that Jesus he was in control the entire time. 
Look back to uh, chapter 18 in John. Look back at the verses in 4 through 8. In John's account, these details that he gives here, Jesus asks, who are you looking for? And then Jesus responds, saying, I am. As I thought about that, you know that how powerful of a statement that is, right? I am. Jesus is saying, not as he just, there is Jesus, but he's also saying by I am, he's saying, I am God. I read a commentary, and I'd like to share it with you. Guzik, he shared it this way. He said, when Jesus declared his divine identity in the words, I am, Judas and the soldiers fell back. There was such a display of divine presence, majesty, and power in them two words, that the enemies of Jesus were powerless to stand against him. Jesus, he makes sure in these passages that we know he was in complete control and again, he states his divinity. He states he is God. You know, I, I also, as I read this, I, I see a principle in these passages, which I believe all of us can apply to our own lives. If we need to do something in a place or a time that nobody else can see, such as these leaders were doing, right, at the dark time when no one else was around, it's probably very likely that if we're doing something where no one else can see, what we're doing may be questionable, perhaps even sinful, if we feel we need to do something in a hidden place. Let's continue. Turn turn back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 26, verse 50 and 51. Jesus said, My friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. There's so much there. Let's just start with the fact that Jesus, he starts with using the words, responding to Judas, my friend. I was puzzled why Jesus would still address Judas this way, fully knowing what he had done. I tell you, I can think of a lot of names I probably would have used besides my friend for addressing Judas at this point. And I was thinking about this and how Judas, how Jesus addressed him this way, and I was reading upon it, and one of the things I read said that this response from Jesus calling Judas' friend was really a final act of love. Because we know, and we see this, Jesus' love never leaves. Even this apostate Judas, Jesus still loved him. I don't know if you've had a, a betrayal like this happen. Have you ever had a, maybe faced a close friend or a family member that's betrayed you? I'll tell you, as I, as I just think about our God is so gracious. I just walked something through something like this recently and it's very strange because you want to be so angry or even hate them which is of course not biblical but yet as they've betrayed you and they've hurt you but you still have a love for them jesus shows us through this and many other places that we're to love even our enemies even those that's betrayed us or hurt us we're still to love this and i you know they I, I, we know the story of judas how it continues on later i think jesus's reaction to judas probably paid, played a big part in what happened to Judas later and what he did. Now, before we move on, I want to look at one thing real quick. Uh, turn again. We're going to go back to John's account real quick. John chapter 18. Guys, in John chapter 18. Let's look at verse 10 real quick. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right side of Malachus, the high priest's slave. I want to make sure everyone could know who this person was that had grabbed the sword. And it was Peter, so now we know Peter was stepping up, right? He's going to show his loyalty to Jesus. Because I'm sure Peter, 
surely thought that Jesus being arrested was going to be a horrible thing, right? He was really concerned and he was going to help resolve the situation. I'm not sure how he thought he would fight all these men, but there's such a huge lesson for this here. Peter was going to help Jesus with this problem. Yet, what was really taking place would lead Jesus to give in the world the greatest gift they've ever received. Having their sin paid for from Jesus placing himself on the cross. Because God's plan here was so much bigger than what Peter could see or that what anyone could understand at the time. It's just amazing to me. It's just such a lesson. You know, in, in John, if you look back there, we see just grace and mercy of Jesus. Because he heals that man's ear. He probably, in doing this, he prevented Peter from getting arrested with Jesus. So let's, let's look at 52 through 54. Put away your sword, Jesus told them. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us? And he would send them instantaneously? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Matthew, he reminds the readers, again, Jesus was not powerless to prevent this, this arrest. But it instead reminds us this was according to God's will. This fulfilled the scriptures. If you look at this, if you did, if you look at different translation, Jesus says he could call 12 legions of angels. So there's different ways to look at that, but say there's about four to 6,000 soldiers in each legion. So this would maybe be like 60,000 angels. What do you think 60,000 angels could do? You know, if we were to, we could look back in 2 Kings 19 and you'd see that one angel, one knight, killed 185 armed soldiers. And Jesus is saying, that was just one. Jesus is saying he could call upon 60,000 angels. Jesus was always in control of this situation, and it was always about being glory, bringing glory to the Father by doing his will. It's amazing. In spite of Peter here slashing off the ear, and even each of our own attempts at times, we try to interject our will into something that God is going, is doing in our lives. But there's, again, there's that mercy and that grace that Jesus just extends to us so many times. Let's finish up and look at the last two verses, 55 through 56. Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all... The disciples deserted him and fled. Jesus, he addresses in these verses how just crazy this was that they would come at night and they would come with armed guards. And you know, Jesus, he freely gave himself to fulfill the Father's will, to glorify the Father. And, you know, you know, as all this was taking place, I'm sure the disciples, they were terrified to watch this. I'm sure they were even overtaking in fear. Jesus was their hope, and he was being arrested. This was not part of the disciples' plan. This is not how it was supposed to work out. Everything was going much differently than they believed it should be going. Yet, it was exactly according to the plan and will of God. Just think about that. What a lesson for us. Their fear, the disciples' fear, was based on a lack of faith and trust in Jesus because they didn't understand why and what was happening at the time. And so they fled Jesus as we see this even here. As we close up today, I just I want a reminder as we look at these passages, always, 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 our example is Jesus. 
As we see this here, Jesus was facing some great tribulation, the greatest tribulation ever known. And what did he do? He took time to be alone with God. He took time to pray. He took time to submit himself to God. We read in the passages, Jesus did this three times in the night. He did more than this, though. Then he came to his closest friends, his disciples, and he asked them. He asked them to also join with him in prayer. He did all of this to resist the temptation. But then I have to ask questions. Where were the disciples when they were needed most? They were asleep. What did Jesus ask the disciples to do? He had asked them to watch and pray. You know, unfortunately, as the disciples really did a poor job here, I think, unfortunately, a lot of this applies to us today. Jesus is still asking all of us, he's still asking the church to watch, to pray. But I'm going to tell you, I think a lot of the church is asleep. Satan is tearing the church down through the division and lies as the church is sleeping. We must wake up. We must follow Jesus' example here. We must keep watch. We must be in prayer. We must be in fellowship. And we must each stay focused on the callings and the purpose that God has put on each one of us. There's so many things going on in the world right now. There's so many different things to argue about that we could have division about. If it's politics, or if it's this coronavirus, or if it's the government, or if it's uh, different religions. With all this stuff going on, we need to point people to God's love through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I want to leave you with a quote for today. Something to remember. Jesus didn't die as a martyr, but he was the perfect lamb given in our place paying the price of all of mankind's sins. I just thank you for joining us and listening to the, and being a part of this sermon. Uh, I just pray that we would really just take a moment just to awake and be watchful and be in prayer as Jesus has shown us, that we'd look towards our brothers, look through our sisters, and just see how we can pray for them, how we can lift their arms up, how we can point people to Jesus and leave these divisions and all these things alone. Leave these worldly issues alone and just point people to Christ and the love that he has for them. And remember that, as I saw, just such an amazing lesson here is the world around the disciples at this point in the story was crumbling around them. Everything they believed was seeming to be something else. Their Messiah, they believed, was being arrested. Nothing made sense to them. Everything seemed wrong in their lives. Yet, as they were walking through this, it was exactly what Jesus had planned. Jesus was walking perfectly in the Father's will. And God had an amazing thing planned, our salvation. But at the time, the disciples didn't see that. They didn't understand what was taking place. So if many of us maybe are having some difficult times. We don't always know what the plan is. We don't have a clear understanding. But instead of asking why, let's have faith. Let's pray. Let's fellowship with one another, and let's point others to the love of Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this amazing example that you show us in the Scripture, Lord. As you fell on your face in the dirt, crying and praying in anguish to the Father, praying that if there was any other way for me, for everyone to be saved, make it so. But all the while, as you're praying in this anguish, knowing you would face that separation from the Father, knowing all of this, Lord, you still, you loved us and you prayed to be in the Father's will, Lord, saving each and every one of us, Lord, from the penalty of our sins, which is death. 
Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for fighting that battle in prayer. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that I would be in prayer, that I would keep watch of the things of the world, that I would continue to point others to the love of you, our Lord and Savior. Lord, that I would not fall asleep. Lord, I pray for the church today, Lord, that they would not be asleep. They would not be of this world, but they would be in prayer, searching for the Father's will, watching for the temptations that are out there, praying that they also would walk in the way of the Father. So, Lord, I just praise you. I thank you for this time. I just ask for a blessing on everyone, Lord. Just show them, Lord, how they can be used, Lord, how they can point others to your love, how they can point to others to know that they are saved from their sins and they can have also eternal life in heaven. So, Lord, just watch over us all. Equip us. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I just want to thank you all for joining us this week. We're going to continue still with a little bit of worship. And again, please message us with your prayer request. Let us know how we're doing. Let's stay in fellowship. Let's be praying for others. Let's not be asleep to the needs of others. I love you guys. I miss you all. And I'll see you soon. God bless.